The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi. I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Happy Saturday, Outway fam. Amy here, and Happy New Year. I can't believe, as of today, 2022 is in its final stages. Tomorrow will be a new year, which I'm very, very, very excited about 2023 and all that it has in store. So hope you're having a great holiday weekend. And today we are going to be hearing a Couch Talks episode from Kat Defada's Unique Therapy podcast Now, this is something I recorded with Kat early in 2022. Uh, It was during NIDA Week, National Eating Disorder Awareness Week. And Kat and I just talk a little bit about our experience. And then we did a QA. and a Well, Kat's the therapist. So she led everything. And this is from her podcast. But it is a conversation that I think will be very beneficial to you, especially as you are looking into the new year and how you want to show up and how are you with your body image right now? How are you around food right now? And what kind of goals are you going to set this year? And maybe they could look a little bit different than they have in the years past and not really have anything to do with what your body looks like or what you're eating. So I hope you enjoy this chat. Here you go. Couch Talks. Welcome, guys, to another new episode of Couch Talks. This is Kat. I'm your host, and I am excited because we have a guest for Couch Talks. Is this my first Couch Talks? Is it? I don't know. I mean, I, I know it is. Yeah, it's been is. on the podcast before, um, but not a Couch Talk. Yeah. If you don't recognize the voice, we have Amy, Amy Brown. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you. Hi. Happy to be here. <laughs> you're welcoming yourself. Yes. <laughs> if you are new or newer to You Need Therapy podcast and you're like, Couch Talks, what is that? Couch Talks is the bonus episode that we do every single Wednesday where I answer questions that you guys send in and you can send those into Catherine at uneedtherapypodcast.com and maybe one day I will get to your question. Now, that can be kind of confusing because you're sending questions to a, a licensed therapist and then she's somewhat answering them on air. I want to say on air, but we're not on air. On a podcast. On a podcast. But I do want to remind you guys that this podcast is not therapy and doesn't serve as a replacement. 
However, it could aid in the addition to your therapy or encourage you to go to therapy. Yeah. Which is great. I do. I agree. Yeah. So this week, the reason we have a guest is because it's Nita Week and Nita Week is National Eating Disorder Awareness Week. It's a very special week. Very. I only started to even know something yeah. existed that, like in the last two years. Yeah. Like, I had no idea Nita Week was a thing and yeah. I've had an eating disorder. Well, my eating disorder started when I was maybe 13 and then I'm 40. Mm-hmm. I'm turning 41 soon. So we weren't doing very good job so, of bringing the awareness. I don't know. There was not awareness was for me. <laughs> there was a disconnect. <laughs> yeah. But I love this week, not because like I'm not celebrating eating disorders. What we're doing is bringing awareness to them and talking about them and putting information out that can either help you or help somebody you know, because there are a lot of misconceptions about eating disorders. And I like to bring light to a lot of that stuff because I don't know if you felt this way. Maybe not, Amy, because you were like, I had one for a very long time. A lot of people think that they are just about body image and the way you look and they're vain and why don't you just eat? And there's so much more complexities. uh, Yeah, well, not even like, why don't you just eat? It's why don't you just stop eating when you're full or why don't you just stop purging or whatever it is that your behavior because there's be. so many different kinds of eating disorders. And I think people just think of one. I did, and I'm going to link some other episodes that I've done on this topic in the show notes. But I did one episode where I just talked about the different types because people don't realize that like an eating disorder isn't the same for every single person. No. So we're going to talk about it today. Okay. And I asked you guys for your questions on Instagram and you sent me some. And we're going to try to do like three to four. Yeah, and Depending. I'm speaking as someone who is in recovery, yeah. and then Kat is speaking as the expert. So, yeah. yeah, and in recovery, so I get both sides. You just get one side. I, I just get one side. You're and becoming that, somewhat of an expert, though. You're having yeah, but I a lot of conversations mm, with a lot of. I don't know. Is there like a podcast degree? Because like I don't, I don't have the credentials. So just yeah, I'm I'm yeah. thankful to be in a place where I get to have open, honest conversations yeah. about it, where there's no shame or judgment. And that's wonderful that we get to connect with people in that way. Cause I think I would have benefited from conversations like this, especially my younger self, but I by no means am an expert at all. And that's why I just wanted to clarify because sometimes what I say, which you'll catch me, but I don't want to be a trigger to anybody or I don't want to say anything that would harm anybody in, in, in any way. I'm really glad you said that because I talk about this a lot on the podcast, but I get really frustrated and very, very disappointed when I see people out there with influence, or maybe they don't even have a lot of influence, but putting information out on a topic that is as delicate as an eating disorder is, that is not true or is like a version of the truth that is twisted and turned a little bit. So we're going to have some expert experience and some just human experience today. And I will say, we talked about, or I have, I don't know if well, we talked about it on your podcast too, Dope Sick and how obsessed with that show I was. And if you have not watched that, I highly recommend watching it. However, trigger warning, it can be hard to watch, but it's all about the opioid epidemic. And, you know, something that we used to think, or it used to be true, is that addiction to opiates was one of the most deadly, like, mental health crisis that we had. But right now, the highest mortality rate of any mental health disorder comes from eating disorders. Wow. I did not know that. You didn't know that? No. Yeah. So, well, I didn't know it surpassed other things. Uh-huh. I, if you it was two told and me now to it's one. You know, name three, yeah. I don't think I would have put it as a top one. Yeah. Obviously, I know that 
it's, there's a lot of tragedy that comes from eating disorders, but I don't know. I just would figure other things would fall in line first. That's yeah, wild. It's, okay. It's well, scary. so even more of a reason why this conversation or having these conversations, wherever you're having them, as long as, again, there's the expert involved, it's important. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So we better so get to the yeah, questions. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So I'm going to ask the question. I'm going to see if you want to give feedback first and then we'll just bounce and see what happens. Okay. 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 So the first question is, what are your thoughts on Overeaters Anonymous and um, using Vivance for binge eating disorder? Mm, Okay. Well, I've gone to one Overeaters Anonymous meeting in my early 20s and I never went back. I think I was just so thankful to know that I wasn't alone. Why didn't you go back? It wasn't somewhere, I, maybe there was still some shame. I felt uncomfortable. I didn't know anybody there. It was comforting, again, like I said, to know. I think that like, honestly, I ate my way there. <laughs> like, I think I went to a gas station and I was like, I'm gonna get all my snacks, you know, mm-hmm. whatever candies or cookies or whatever. I just know it was a particularly hard day and it landed me there. But I guess I just wasn't fully ready. You have yeah. to be ready for something like that um, and be committed. And I just didn't even know really where I fell, but nobody talked about overeating. The fact no, that- No, that is true. This yeah. was early 2000s. Yeah. So there wasn't this Instagram community where there was all these influencers you could follow that were being vulnerable and sharing with you about their, or not even just influencers, but experts mm-hmm. or like hashtags where you can search things out. I honestly- don't even know that we really Googled a lot back then. Maybe I Googled it or maybe I saw it somewhere or looked it up in the phone book. I don't know how I even found this meeting, but I know it was in North Austin. And I know that I went. It almost feels like a dream as I'm telling it back. Did it happen? Am I making this up? Right. Because sometimes you are on the really hard days. It's almost like you are having an out of body. You're not connected. Yeah. Well, that's a whole... You're like a zombie. disconnects you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So... You went once and you the the goodness you got from it was that I I got this sense that I wasn't alone. I'm not alone. Okay, mm-hmm. which is amazing. Right. And I love that. And if that's what you can take from one of those meetings, then I'm all for it. I have never been personally a huge fan of these meetings. There's also something called EDA, which is Eating Disorders Anonymous, which encompasses all eating disorders that I'm really pro that. It's hard to find those meetings. Now they do do them online. Um, these days. But the reason that I'm not super into OA is because they have in the past. It could have changed. But when I was more familiar and when I had clients and people in my life going to those meetings, they did preach and encourage that you abstain from any food that you've binged. So it was like sobriety. So if your binge food was chips, then you're not allowed to eat chips anymore. And a relapse would be you eating chips, even if you're eating it in an appropriate way. I mean, I could get how for some people that might work if you have a specific binge food. But yeah, I mean, sometimes it really didn't. I didn't always stick to one food. Yeah. So So then then what do you like never eat? If it it was like candy, it's like, can you never have any candy again? And I just think that can be a really toxic way to find healing because it can that can just turn into another type of eating disorder. Right. It, It sounds very restrictive to me. Right. And the reason I think eating disorders are one of the hardest things to work with is it's, you need food to survive. Yeah. And Is it's that like, what you're about to say? Yeah. When it's like you're <laughs> teaching somebody how to like responsibly use their drug of choice, right? So it, it would be like if you came to my office and you're like, okay, I'm addicted to cocaine. I need to teach me how to like use it in a healthy, positive way. And that sounds crazy, but with food, we kind of have to do that. And so I'm not a huge fan of OA. 
However, if it's something that if you go into it, all you take from it is, oh my gosh, I'm not alone in this, go for it. But be very mindful of what they encourage and what kind of like, I want to say food, that's like a food rule to me. And yeah. Well, and I'm going to say they probably have overall yeah. themes that they follow or it's a 12-step it's yeah. program, but each chapter might, it might be full of different people and different relationships you might make. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I'm just thinking of like, like I know people that do AA and they might go to one meeting and they don't like it there. But then across town, they'll drive 20 minutes to go to this other meeting because mm-hmm. it's a solid meeting mm-hmm. for them, like more impactful yeah. and like actually a good place for them. Okay, well, I just looked up some OA criticism and I don't really find any online. I mean, I'm sure I could hit There's up not Reddit like an OA like, like group on Reddit that's like just bashing it. No. Not that I can <laughs> see at the moment, but also we're not here yeah. to bash like yeah. any particular thing because it might be helpful yeah. to somebody, but this is just... My- different things can yeah. work for different people. This is just what I've seen and how it's not been helpful in the way that I work for myself and with clients. It doesn't have the same kind of ideology behind recovery that I see work. But I think that speaks to just recovery in general. There's not one way to do it. Mm-hmm. And thinking that there's just one way to do it can get us in trouble. It's dangerous. Yes. Mm-hmm. So the other part of that question was, and I have some feelings on this, but what are your thoughts on using Vivance for binge eating? Well, I've taken that. <laughs> but did you take it for binge eating? Well, I took it for both. Knowing that I have ADHD mm-hmm. and that I'm a binge eater. But did I relay the binge eating to my practitioner? No. I did it for the ADHD, but secretly deep down inside, I'm like, this is going to be my magic pill. Cause this one, I know I for sure saw commercials about, you know, I'd be watching something and then it'd be like, do you overeat? Wait, they had commercials for Vivance? Yes. I've never seen it. (gasps) This was probably 2015. I remember specifically work. I was working at a treatment center and an eating disorder program when it got approved. And I remember getting an article and it was very sad to me to read that article. But for you, you're like, oh my gosh, yes, I do. That right. can help me. I was like, this could help me focus and concentrate at work. But then also this this is going to be my cure to eating too much. And I would put myself 100% in that binge category. I did have a season where I wasn't purging in any way. Mm-hmm probably working out too much. I learned later in recovery that over-exercising is a form of purging as well. It doesn't have to be actually the physical act of Mm -hmm. purging. In fact, a book that I love that helped me in my recovery was called Brain Over Binge. And the author of it, she binged and purged, but her purging was always working out. Mm -hmm. She never- That was mine. Threw up. So for me though, I had like 12 years where I didn't throw up. So I thought I didn't have an eating disorder. Oh, But I was- eating, like would ha- I would binge restrict, like I would mm-hmm. not eat. And then I would just eat uncontrollably. But I learned a lot through mm-hmm. brain over binge that my brain was like, you don't give us food. Yeah, <laughs> You don't give, you're not giving me any food. So therefore, when you do give me food, I'm going to eat the heck out of it because I don't know when you're going to feed me again. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I had to go in and break that cycle. Mm-hmm. But it was a mental thing. And I think one of the questions we get to later is going to talk about, mm-hmm. I, I have a mental answer for it of like what I just had to tell my brain. But with the purging, it did come back after my mom passed away in 2014. So I was still doing binge restrict, but then the purging had come back mm-hmm. and I was desperate for anything. And that's when I started seeing the Vivance commercials. And I'm like, this is my miracle drug. I'm going to be cured. Yeah, I'm going to take this. My life is going to be better. Like I was convinced of that. Well, I had taken Adderall before and didn't have the best experience with it at all. 
But I thought, well, this is different than Adderall and it'll help me focus, which it did for a time. And then I was focusing like all day long because it's a Vivian's is a time release. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was altering my personality. My mouth was still getting really dry like it did on Adderall. I started feeling comfortable. I was still swinging. I wasn't sleeping great. And also I was still overeating. And so mm-hmm. then I thought something was wrong with me. Like I'm yeah. broken. I'm this the one miracle person. drug didn't fix you. Right. I'm the person that yeah. can't take this pill. But again, I wasn't talking to a medical professional about that because I wasn't taking the pill for that reason. I'm Elia Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. i never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Uh, thank God for the limits. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already yeah. see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Did you talk to doctors about binging ever? No. Because? No. Never. Shame. shame. Embarrassing. Mm -hmm. I didn't ever feel comfortable talking about that part. Of course, I was able to say to some people at certain times, I'm bulimic. Yeah. 
but there's like more shame. Well, I had shame in the bulimia, don't get me wrong, but there's was shame for me with overeating. Well, because it's this like out of the control. idea. It's like you're out of control. Right. And it, I hate that because, and if anybody's listening to this, like all of these behaviors that we're using, whether it's restricting or binging or purging, or you're purging through exercise, they're literally all the same thing. You're just picking a different one. Mm-hmm. And like the only reason I picked exercise over actually like throwing up is because I couldn't right. do it. Same thing. So it's like I would have been doing that. She couldn't do yeah, it. Yeah, I would have been doing that. And I just hate that like we've put different like labels of this one's good and this one's worse. And this is, I hear all the time, well, I wish I had that eating disorder and not that eating disorder. Yeah, like why couldn't I just like not eat? Yes. And it's like, they're really mm-hmm. all the same thing. Right. And I just want you guys to know, listening, if you're struggling with binge eating, like somebody who's restricting is not any better than you at all. No. And, and and it's not like they have more willpower than you because a lot of those people, I mean, I know for me in my most restrictive parts of my life, like I couldn't eat if I wanted to. Like I had no control. I didn't have the control to make a healthy choice for myself. So it wasn't like I was all like put together and all of that. So it didn't work for you. No, I ended yeah. up having to get off of it because not it wasn't doing what it what I needed it to do even for my ADHD. Yeah. And it then was messing with me in such a way because then, like well, I said, I felt drug. like I yeah. was something was wrong with yeah. me. And so then I'm like, I remember going back to pick up my prescription. And then one time my prescription, like I couldn't get it and it was late. And I was like freaking out because I'm like, I need this. I need this. And then that's a scary place to be because I didn't. So anyway, I got off of it and it yeah. wasn't for me, but I don't know your thoughts on it. So I have my own feelings and beliefs and thoughts on it. And it is not a one size fits all. Vivance for binge eating kind of feels a little bit like harm reduction to me. And there's a time and a place for that. I think that there's a time and a place for using different ways of helping someone heal for eating disorder based on that specific situation. So I'm saying all of that very carefully because it's not a one size fits all. However, Vivance, the way that the, it is not designed to work for this because it wasn't designed for eating disorders, but the way that now it's prescribed is because it does suppress your appetite. So what it's not doing is teaching you any kind of connection with your body, any kind of connection, mind, body, spirit. It's not teaching you any skill. It's not allowing you to sit with discomfort. It's not allowing you to build agency and and power in yourself to make good choices. It's just suppressing your appetite. Well, and one of the big parts of my healing. And I say healing because I was having to, I'm still in a place of healing. I'm actively pursuing therapy and different things that I know that are good for me, mind, body, and spirit. Mm -hmm. So I think if I was someone that needed to take it in conjunction with a recovery process, but I was looking at it as a pill that was going to fix me. Yeah. But then what happens if you don't take the pill anymore? Right. Or you go to the pharmacy and you can't get it that day but I wasn't putting in the work to rewire. Like I had to rewire my brain Mm -hmm. and that took work and that took repetitiveness Mm -hmm. and hitting rock bottom and Mm -hmm. just wanting that to be. And sitting in a lot of discomfort. Yes. And I had to kept, I revisited it sometimes like five times in the same minute because I was retraining my brain. And if I'm taking a miracle thing, which I do like what you're saying too, because if I, if someone might need something in conjunction with something else, but if you're thinking you just take something and it's like, voila, going to 
fix everything. Mm-hmm. It's not, at least for me, because so much of my stuff was stuff I needed to actually work through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm a big believer of medication when it comes yeah. to mental health. Like mm-hmm. I, all day long, yes, if if that's gonna be something that is really positive and helpful for you, I support it. And every, like I said, every case is different. But if we're taking this just as an, like an easy way and I haven't really tried the other stuff, it does create another problem because what you're not doing is like healing the relationship with your body and healing the relationship your body has to like hunger cues. You're not actually helping get those back. You're deleting them. Mm-hmm. I'm in like year two of recovery and I'm still figuring out my hunger, hunger cues. cues. Yeah. Yeah. I'm okay with that. And I know that that's okay. And I know I, I no longer have this mentality of like, oh, it's me. I'm broken. What's wrong with me? It's just like, well, I mean, what do you think? I confused my body for more than 20 yeah. years. Oh. Like almost like if once I hit mid forties, if I hadn't have gotten the help that I needed, it'd be you're 30 not years. In, I was going to say you're not in your mid forties though. But I'm about to be, oh. I'm about to be 41. <laughs> I'm about to be in your mid 40s. That's like when I say I'm in my late 30s and I'm 32. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm going to be 41 next month. Okay. And I'm just saying in a couple yeah. more years, if I hadn't gotten help, I'd be living 30 years yeah. in, in, in a lot of agony. And, you know, we hear from on our Outweigh podcast, which is specifically for disordered eating conversations. We've had listeners that email us that are 60, 65 years old and they've been living with it. And I then I I then have gratitude for those that have gone before me and have been an encouragement to me in where I am. And I'm thankful that I cross paths with certain mm-hmm. people online that were a big part of my recovery. Lisa Haim being one of them with her well necessities program, Fork the Noise, so good. And the Brain Over Binge book, like I mentioned and then even getting to know you. But I only learned about Brain Over Binge because I followed Kale Junkie, who I've never met in person. She like lives in California and started following her on Instagram. And she posted, but thank goodness she was vulnerable about, about her story and posted about this book. You know what I want to say too? This goes back to something you said earlier when we're talking about OA is the most important healing agent in any of this stuff, really in anything we're struggling with when it comes to mental health is feeling like you're not alone, is connection. That's literally the opposite of addiction. And I view a lot of eating disorders from an addictive lens. The opposite of addiction is connection. So the more that we're hiding from our eating disorders and we're hiding from our behaviors and and we're taking that blanket of shame and we're just like, you know, wrapping it all around us really tightly, the farther away we are going to get from like true, true healing. The more we can actually talk about this stuff, and that's one the point of this podcast. And I know outweigh, and I know that's one of the reasons that you do four things with Amy Brown podcast is so people feel like they're not alone. And right, but even in the beginning of that podcast, because that was before my recovery, yeah. I was hiding it. But well, now I was hiding it. No, but I was also spreading toxic, yeah. harmful, you, yeah. triggering information that I thought was quote unquote healthy. Yeah. And I was encouraging my listeners to participate, but now I know better. And that's the great thing. And is now you know all... better and you're not being shame. What you're not doing is let shame just be like, well, I'll never do a podcast again, or I never want to talk about it. You're saying, yeah, this sucks. And I hate that I did that, but I'm going to like talk about it because the more I talk about it, the less shame I feel about what I've done. Right. And then it's just this also permission and reminder that we can all grow and evolve yeah. and learn and we don't have to be stuck. Yeah. And yeah, there isn't shame if hey, yeah, I didn't 
have it all figured out by then. And you know what? I might say stuff now that mm-hmm. three years from now, I might come back and be like, wow, I can't believe I said that. Me too. But yay, yeah. so glad I learned and grew. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. I don't know. Me too. Don't hate on people for change. We talked about this on, speaking of four things, I think the fifth thing when we quoted Charlemagne, the post oh. he put up, which was delete the old version of me, it expired. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Except for all those podcasts are still up. <laughs> Can't delete them. <laughs> But that person has changed. Yeah. Okay, question number two. Really question number three, but we're going to say number two. Uh, what is some advice on not slipping into bad habits when you're stressed? But I'm going to rephrase this a little bit. I am going to say, what is some advice on not slipping into maladaptive, unhealthy habits when you're stressed? Take that bad, the judgment out of it. Ooh, maladaptive. Do you want to look up the definition? Yeah. Have you heard that word before? Okay, not providing adequate or appropriate adjustment to the environment or situation. So not helpful. There you go. Mm-hmm. Love it. A little therapy it's our word, word of the day. Word of the day. From a therapist, um, maladaptive behavior. Now you have to use that um, okay. every day this week in a sentence. Well, let me just really drill it in here. Maladaptive behaviors are those that stop you from adapting to newer difficult circumstances. They can start after a major life change, illness, or traumatic event. It could also be a habit you picked up at an early age. You can identify maladaptive behaviors and replace them with more productive ones. There you go. Okay, so yeah, we're reframing the question. This person is looking for advice on how do I not go back into those like coping skills that I picked up that are no longer helping me when I get really stressed out. Which might be- When you're most susceptible to falling into old behaviors. Right, which could be- Eating disorder yes. behaviors. It could so be binging. shopping. Yeah, it could be anything really. Men, yeah, women, whatever you choose to numb. Mm-hmm. Because for me, my eating disorder was just numbing, numbing, numbing all the time, numbing. It wasn't a ther- until a therapist in late 2020 that I had, and it was actually a therapist for my son that did intensives with the parents. <laughs> I have an adopted son and adopted daughter, but I was working with him and- Really, when you have any child in your life that has had trauma, which I adopted older children, so that's a given. They've already been separated from their birth parents. They lived in an orphanage for years. There's trauma. So you have to be a healing parent. And in order for you to be a healing parent, if you're working with therapists, they want to like see, let's where where are you? Where are you at? How can you be the most effective parent? Like, Because if you don't dig deep and work on your stuff... So anyway, we're talking and he made me do that exercise where you're sitting in a chair and you talk to yourself in a chair, you know? Empty chair. Empty chair. Yeah. And we do this whole thing. And it came out in that session that, you know, my eating disorder started when I was a teenager. I was talking to my child self. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, my husband was there as someone that has spent much of my adult life with me. We were married 15, 16 years. And he talked about how my eating disorder has affected our marriage. So then this whole, and I'm like, wait, I thought we were talking about being healing parents. But the truth is, just like I brought that eating disorder into my marriage, I brought that eating disorder into my parent-child relationships as well. And the therapist said, yeah, I mean, well, let's, let's unpack this a little bit more because in his opinion, I'm curious about yours, he said an eating disorder is underlying depression. No one had ever said that to me before because I was like, well, huh? What? I'm not depressed. And he's like, well, yeah, you are. And eating disorders underlying depression. So I don't know your thoughts on that, but I do know that I was using my eating disorder for all of those years to numb 
pain so that I wasn't feeling. Mm -hmm. And then depression doesn't have to look like, for some people it might, but for others it may not be. You're, you can be like a functioning alcoholic. You can be like a functioning depressed person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've never Unpack heard, that. I've actually never heard somebody say that. I can understand what he's saying in that. I think that I see eating disorders more as they can be like best friends with depression. They could exacerbate depression. Um, depression can exacerbate an eating disorder. But I, I hear what he's saying in that. What I was thinking as you were talking though is I believe that a lot of the things that we do in our eating disorders, these coping skills that we pick up, they're solutions to problems, right? And so there's solutions to problems and at some point they're working and so we keep using them. And then at some point they start causing more harm than good. And like I said earlier, the addiction is the opposite of connection. And so if I'm really, really honed in on these behaviors that disconnect me, how is anybody in my life going to connect to me? How are my kids going to connect to me? How is my husband or my wife or my partner going to connect to me? I'm not connecting to myself. My behaviors are all rooted in cutting myself off and numbing. Right. So how am I going to expect people to be able to like get in there? But that's really all we ever really want. We want connection. So it's like the opposite. So I do believe that like not having that does just open up this perfect little like beautifully made bed for depression. Right. Yeah, I mean, it may not be that it's like what came first the chicken or the egg. Right. Okay. That's a good way to put it. I mean, really? Yeah. Which did? Well, do you know? I have no idea. Okay. (laughs) Shoot. (laughs) Do you know? (laughs) I thought you were going to know. But I think that we can often, yes, use these things to numb out and not face what we're really dealing with. So for me, I had to first realize it. But obviously, if you're asking the question, Mm -hmm. you're aware. Because self-awareness is key during any of this. But self-awareness without action is basically just like nothing. Right. Mm -hmm. So you have to be self-aware and then willing to take action. And that's what they're asking. Mm -hmm. What's the action? Like for me, it was actively not participating in the behavior, whatever it was. was. I guess for you, what kept you from going back to it? Because it was so easy at one point. Well, the rewiring my brain was what I had to do. I was had to get all in and I had to practice like really having a better understanding of my brain and what was happening helped me a lot. And kind of, at least this is what I believed, what, what was happening. I know that for others, they might read Brain Over Binge and be like, wait, what? This is not resonating with me at all. But to me, it made perfect sense. And my brain needed to be rewired. And I had the ability to do that. Mm -hmm. And so every time I wanted to go and go to the pantry, I would go to the pantry and I would walk away. Mm -hmm. And I would go to the pantry and I would walk away. And sometimes I would go to the pantry and I mean, I might walk away from that thing like 500 times, Mm -hmm. but the more I went to it and walked away, the more I was not going to use that as my medicine. Mm -hmm. Every time I walked away, it was almost also empowering too. And I wasn't perfect by any means. Well, there's perfect, the wrong word. Because also there wasn't anything wrong with me if I actually did open the door. It's like, okay, there was no beating myself up. There was no- I think that's key though. uh, It's key. Like I wasn't there. I didn't do anything wrong. I actually was in survival and my brain was taking care of me and I needed to do what I thought was best for me. But also I know that I am, I would remind myself of like, I am safe. I am nourished. I have food. I- have like support. I have yeah. all these things and I would go to the pantry and would walk away. I would go to the pantry and I would walk away. 
go to the pantry, I would walk away. I'm going to keep saying that because that's what it felt like. I would go to the pantry and I would walk away because the pantry, that was my problem. Every time I would go to the pantry. And now, you know what? I can go to my pantry for comfort, Mm -hmm. but this is two years later. Mm -hmm. I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already yeah. see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I can go to my pantry and find comfort in food, but I, there's not this guilt and shame associated with it. And I'm not, no, I'm not zombieing not out. I'm not numbing out. I'm not yeah. dissociating. I'm very yeah. aware. I'm actually like, this cookie is doing its job right yeah. now. Amen. Mm-hmm. Love you cookies. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Where it used to be like, oh my gosh, I just ate a whole freaking box of cookies and I have no idea what happened. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was like, I don't want to do that anymore. So I had to just not do it. And I know that sounds so... Like I, that's not advice, but it might be that I would turn, walk away from the pantry and go for a walk, walk away from the pantry, call a friend, 
Walk away from the pantry, yeah. read my book. Walk away from the pantry, go read a blog about this. And so like, it's building other, it's one you're, you're talking about, I'm not going to beat myself up for, no. for doing it no. because I, I feel very strongly about this. It is about consistency and not perfection. Right. So I want to be consistent in doing the things that actually are helpful, not perfect. So that's one of those releasing shame. The other thing is building up other things that help. So we get stuck on these things thinking that they're the only thing that helps and that becomes this like automatic reaction when there's tons of other skills out there that actually can really help you. And there's tons of different kinds of skills that can help and coping skills and there's types of therapy and DBT is really awesome to do. Now, when it comes down to it, I think what you're also saying without saying is you had to be willing to sit with a lot of discomfort and connect back to your life. That's, I think, the key for you. And it was the key for me. And I couldn't do it on my own. I had to have accountability because connecting to my life and getting into the woods of what actually I thought my eating disorder was going to help me with was like a bloodbath. And I think that if you've never experienced this, you might have no idea what this feels or looks like, but like eating disorder recovery, really, I would describe it as an uphill bloodbath. It is so uncomfortable. It is so hard. Is it worth it? Yes but it takes a lot of time to get to a place where my automatic thought isn't to beat myself up, isn't to go over exercise, isn't to like not eat for a certain amount of time, isn't to make a smoothie of water and kale. Like that's taken a long time for me to get that stuff out of the forefront of my brain. So accountability is key, but also willingness to sit in uncomfortable stuff and tolerate it. That's something I don't think is we taught all these skills to like ignore or whatever, but it's like all about like, I need to learn how to tolerate being in my life. How do I tolerate being in my life rather than going to go do something that takes me out of my life? So there's a lot of skills that can help with that. That, that would take a whole podcast, but things that bring you into you and your experience rather pull me out of. And I think that the beating self up part like happens in stages. Yeah. I mean, I, there, well, no, there's different things to beat yourself up about and you just can't do it in any category. Like, can I say something about mm -hmm. in recovery? I kind of swap some things out for other things. Mm -hmm. Like I wasn't binging anymore, but I was counting macros mm -hmm. and I didn't realize I had replaced one for the other. Mm -hmm. I at least thought, well, I'm walking away from the pantry. I'm not binging, but now I'm obsessing over entering things into my fitness pal. Mm -hmm. And if I didn't enter it for the day, it's like I was going to go crazy. Mm -hmm. Like it was so uncomfortable. But that in a way was another one of these coping mechanisms where I wasn't having to face what, because not being able to enter in the exact calories, fat, protein that I ate that day, carbs, shouldn't send me spinning. Mm -mm. It should be like, okay, cool. I couldn't enter that. I mean, because if you're in a place where you can enter that stuff and you want it just for facts mm -hmm. about your body, it's okay to want to know macros. Mm -hmm. But if you're going to not be able to sleep- Not I, worth it. That's not- That's not worth it. But mm -hmm. I, I replaced, so I'm saying things can get sneaky because yeah. you can rewire one part of your brain and then- brrr, like mm -hmm. move in in another way to yeah. numb out and not face the real things. Yeah. And mine was like disguised by, okay, I got to enter this or I have to eat this. Oh my gosh, I didn't meet my goal or steps. Like I'd be like, oh my gosh, I'm only at 9,557 steps and I'm supposed to get to 10,000 and I would pace around my bedroom. But I'm like, not binging. 
Right. You know? But you're doing- But I didn't go to the so pantry. That's what I think is actually really, I'm glad you said that because that's one of the reasons that I'm, I'm really, really big on if you're struggling with something like this and you're looking for help is find somebody who has experience and expertise in working in it because not all therapists and mental health professionals are created equal. If I didn't have experience in like the deep, deep, deep woods of eating disorders, I might congratulate you on that and be like, I'm so proud of you. Look at you. You're getting over this. But I don't know the inside workings of eating disorders and they're so freaking tricky that they can have you do things that a lot of the world celebrates and then you're celebrating it. But it's actually, again, not helping you get to the root of the issue, which is the disconnection that you have with yourself and the inability to connect, which then prevents you from connecting to other people. So. I remember when Lisa had me stop doing that because I was doing her program and I had completed Brain Over Binge and I had completed Fork the Noise, but yet I was still sneaking in my mm-hmm. my data. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she's like, Amy, you have to stop. Because you, and what you didn't I, learn is how to tolerate the discomfort. Yes. And I told her, I can't let this go. Mm-hmm. I don't see how this is harming me and I can't let it go. But then when I really sat back with it, the mere fact that I couldn't let it go meant that it was harmful. Yeah. And I remember struggling with sleep the first night I let it go. And the next morning waking up and sending Lisa a text. And I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to get through today. Like not tracking everything. And then I think I had taken a picture at work and I sent it to her. And I'm like, oh, I already feel like I look different. And she's like, Amy, you look the same. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't see it. Mm-hmm. So then... You know, this is just to say, but that also just, you're seeing how you feel and you're uncomfortable, right? And you're having all these these messages inside of your body shooting off because you have not learned how to tolerate this feeling. You're feeling all over the place and, and oh my gosh, scared, all this stuff. You're seeing an image of that, and so all of a sudden you think you look different when like it's impossible. It's it was impossible. Yeah literally impossible. And so I would just say, if you're looking to not fall back into other behaviors, you might pick up other things that you think are safe. Yeah. And then you realize, oh shoot, they're not safe either. So yeah, just make sure you have good accountability, like you were saying, Kat, and things in place. And it's okay to be prepared or have a list of things or journal and write. Mm-hmm. Like, journaling, writing, reading, like sometimes writing things out. I think that that's, if you can walk away from a behavior and go and journal it all down, that can be extremely therapeutic and help you connect the dots, yeah. with your within yourself, which is ultimately what you're saying is we have to do. We can't just replace one yeah. numbing behavior with another numbing behavior. And then like, what are things that you say to go do for this? Well, I I believe it's very important to have a box full of tools, like a box full of things and not just one or two things that work because we can't be journaling every time we feel distressed. We can't be going for a walk every time we feel distressed. We can't be calling a friend every time. So having a toolbox with a lot of different options. Ooh, you could do a grab bag. (laughs) Write them all down. You draw one. Ooh, I don't get to do today. I used to actually make like emergency (laughs) kits with clients where um, we would put a bunch of stuff in like a little bag or they could get a like a cute fun, they could get a four things bag or something um, and put them all in there. And we would have things that would bring them into their senses. So uh, a, a picture to look at, a, a stone or something soft to hold, um, a scent to smell. 
And it's bringing the, uh, you back into the present of that rather than like going in the, you know, when you're really, really stressed and triggered, you're like all over the place and a lot of times living in your past. So self-soothing things are really, really helpful, but self-soothing doesn't take away your emotions. So something that I always have in my office and I actually have it at my house too is I keep things in the freezer like um, citrus fruits, like lemons, oranges, limes. And when you're really use the word triggered to go use a behavior, you go get that and you hold it and you self-soothe it. You still might be feeling scared or sad or angry, but you're also self-soothing in that moment. So I actually was going to say this because I was watching Inside Out last night with my niece. And I don't know if you guys have seen it, but basically uh, sadness, the feeling sadness is a huge part of the movie. And spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, you can fast forward through this part. But at the end, it showed us that um, sadness was a really important part of this girl's life and emotional literacy. And my niece uh, looked at me, she's seven, and she was like, wait, because there were uh, your feelings were categorized by different colors. And these marbles that were categorized by different colors were being changed to have both the color for joy and both the color for sadness in it. And my niece looked at me and she said, Aunt Kat, why are they turning all of her happy thoughts sad? And I said, well, look what's happening. Because there was a scene in the movie where the girl was really sad, but her parents gave her a hug and comforted her. Mm. And I said, look what's happening. She's really, really sad. But because she was sad and expressed that to her family, they came to her, hugged her, and now they're like spending time with her. And now she feels love and she feels joy. So sometimes when you're sad, it's not all bad. It can lead you to something you really want. And so for this girl, it was connection with her family. Mm. And I I don't know why that's making me emotional right now. But I, when she asked me that, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so grateful for this movie. But that's literally what I'm talking about. How can I sit in this emotion and sit in this feeling and not like demonize it? Because our discomfort is probably hitting on some kind of emotion we're having that we don't know how to tolerate, whether that's sadness or fear or anger. And we need to learn that our emotions lead us to what we really need and what we really want rather than lead us to like this deep, dark hole. It makes me think of halt. It's like a little bit different, but another thing where you... You might be acting or feeling a certain way because H, you might be hungry. A, you might be angry. L, you might be lonely. Or T, you might be tired. Mm -hmm. And I think of how many of the years I lived in a state of just like, ugh. Mm -hmm. I don't even have a word for it. It was just like, ugh. And But people wouldn't have even really known. But I was that probably because I was tired and hungry <laughs> and angry. And lonely, like I was all, I mean, some of those, yeah. if you're like on any given day, you can know if you're feeling a certain way, you can be like, wait, am I hungry, angry, lonely, tired? And it's a tool for you to meet your needs. Mm -hmm. But like when I was in the thick of my eating disorder, I was halt all the time, all four things. But you never actually clued into that. So I'm just going no, to behavior. Mean, so I'm not actually figuring out what do I need here? Right. But I mean, look at the, all those needs. Yeah. And I, but I wasn't meeting any of them. I was numbing all of it out. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, I was hungry, but whatever, yeah. I don't, I'm not eating right now. Or if I'm hungry, then okay, I just overate and da da da. And I'm angry about it all. Mm -hmm. And I'm lonely because I feel it's very isolating and nobody's mm -hmm. talking about it. And then I'm freaking tired. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, so, so maybe then, you just need a nap. Well, yeah, but I mean, it's just a cycle. It's yeah. a vicious cycle that yeah. makes you really exhausted. Yeah. I just remember 
being so exhausted all the time because either thinking about food or not thinking about food or trying not to think about food. or Because running away from yourself is exhausting. And I think that like running away from yourself is exhausting. Eating disorder recovery is exhausting, but there is a light at the end of the tunnel and you don't have to live in that state of exhaustion forever. Right. Well, yeah. Circling back to like where I want to put a bow on the whole thing is, is like now... I might experience multiple of those things at once, but it's very rare. I think that most of my eating disorder, though I lived in mm-hmm. all of them, mm-hmm. hungry, angry, literally tired. Mm-hmm. And now I can tell, I can like tell a difference. If I'm actually hungry, I'm like, oh, okay, well, that's hungry. Or if I'm snippy, I'm like, okay, do I need food? Or is it that I'm angry? And I can like mm-hmm. s- decipher mm-hmm. what it is. Again, I might have some of them that are crossing over, mm-hmm. but it's, rare like what because i'm more connected it's like i'm able to narrow it down and figure out feelings oh, are what this need is yeah and then i'm able to feel my feelings mm-hmm. and be like it's okay and then i go and i have the day i need to have <laughs> how many things can you say that um are like catchphrases of yeah. mine in one sentence i don't know uh, but i don't yeah. you know i do want to offer that hope and that light at the end of the tunnel is that when you're in recovery it's not perfect. You still have days where you're angry, lonely, tired, and hungry, but like it's less exhausting because you're, it's more manageable. It just is. I don't know. I'm speaking for myself. Like I was a freaking hot mess, Mm -hmm. but also I was trying to hold it together all the time. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it's just, if you're there, I get it. You're not alone. I want you to know that. And I just also want people to know that it's going to take time it's but not it's, as easy as a lot of the stuff you're seeing uh, on the internet makes it look. And it's, it's not I, black and white. It's, it's so not. gray. And that's why, I mean, even that's what outweighs about. Yeah. It's like the gray area of eating disorders. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's not one way for everybody. And even some of the stuff we're saying here, yeah. you might need to assess for yourself what's going to work, what's not going to work. And that's the beauty of working with someone like Kat. If you can find a licensed therapist in the city where you live that you can actually like meet with that specializes in eating disorders because I've definitely gone to therapists before that I don't know I just didn't feel comfortable because they didn't they didn't get it we're talking about like individualized treatment too and I think that's really important where like I work with a lot of people with eating disorders and I don't do the same thing with all of them because based on their experience their life their behaviors they need different things and that's why it's actually really hard to answer some of the questions that you guys send specifically about eating disorders is because there isn't one answer I can give that fits everybody. So I I do want to throw that out there as we wrap this up that- Sorry, take, this is so long. Yeah, <laughs> we were going to do three or four. We got two questions, but that's okay. They were, it was good conversation, but take what we're saying and make sure it really does fit with you before you make it like your life's motto now. And your therapist might not always be 100% correct. So if you're with a therapist that does, you wouldn't know this, but does every single thing the same with every single client, that's a red flag because I don't see how that would ever work. No, I don't see how that would work either. I mean, even as I, if I have the same therapist, I want them to do different things for me in different seasons. Yeah, yeah. Like if I'm seeing them for a long time, Mm -hmm. you need to, okay. Spice it up. Evolve with me. Let's go. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, well, Pat, this is your episode. I'll you <laughs> but I'm like, okay, sorry, we went way over. We were going to do this for 20 minutes, but I don't know how long this is. But it was a good conversation. And I'm grateful to have it. And I'm grateful that you are somebody that is willing to have these conversations because 
they are vulnerable and hard and and scary. And also look at how much goodness and connection you've gotten from talking about this stuff. Yeah, like, for sure. It's amazing. So I hope this was helpful for all you guys listening. If you have more questions for me, remember you can send them to Catherine at unitherapypodcast.com. You can follow me at at cat.defada. You can follow the podcast at unitherapypodcast on Instagram. And you can follow Amy at Radio Amy on Instagram. And make sure you listen to, if you liked this episode, um, her podcast, Outweigh, um, that's on the same network that we're on. And her other podcast, Four Things with Amy Brown, which I get to be on once a week. Yeah, Kat is a- Every Tuesday. Yeah, she's the staple- guest for the fifth thing permanent permanent stable whatever thank you for having me and thank you for having these conversations and thank you for need a week which brings awareness to a much needed Mm -hmm. conversation Mm -hmm. all right bye guys the black effect presents family therapy and i'm your host elliot connie Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.